This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the Las vegas review journal talks about off-season hockey because it is truly the off-season now uh the stanley cup has been awarded and uh i ben goats one of your las vegas review journal golden knights beat writers is here to talk all about it and a bunch of other topics today and i am joined as always by my colleague dave shane dave how's it going man good good i'm hanging in how about you no, hanging in as well. It's going to be weird now that there is officially no more hockey until we don't know when. But, uh, you know, we'll just try to to take that <laughs> in stride. We're going to wing it. <laughs> um, exactly. Like we always do. Uh, but before we keep winging it, let me just quick remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by Pepsi, DoorDash, and FavorShotDrinkOfFavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work uh, at Review Journal. Dot com. We have a bunch of stories on the website right now. We're trying to keep that content churning out for you guys so that you're never bored, despite the fact that there is no playoff hockey going on anymore. And of course, uh, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, do to this podcast and whatever uh, platform you use, uh, we'd really appreciate it. It helps people kind of find us and, and spread the word about what we're doing here. So we have some news to talk about this week. And some non-news that we're going to spend way more time talking about because it's more fun. Uh, But the first thing that we should talk about is the fact that the season is officially over because the Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup in six games over the Dallas Stars. Those Stars who, of course, eliminated the Golden Knights in the Western Conference Final. Uh, The Lightning won the series in six games. They won game six, two to nothing. Uh, I'm curious, Dave, from, from watching... Uh, from your vantage point, did you have any, I guess, takeaways from a Knights perspective watching this series in terms of, uh, you know, how they would have fared against the Lightning, what they could have done better? Any of that? Any takeaways that you got checking in? I mean, I don't know about how they fared against the Lightning. I mean, that's tough to ask, but or tough to answer. Sorry. I, I mean, there was a there was a couple of things that I as I watched it, sure, it jumped out. I mean, I think the biggest thing in, in its kind of was talked about with Tampa Bay is 
sort of learning how to, how to win that way, learning how to play that style and, and still win. And I think it's kind of universal in sports. I mean, you look at just about any sport, whether it's football, there's, you know, the passing team that puts up all the points. And then what happens when they run into the defensive team that shuts them down in the Super Bowl? You know, basketball, same thing. You have like the run and gun team. They run into the defensive minded, you know, team that shuts them down. They don't know what to do. You know, whatever. it's kind of a universal thing that, that, that those offensive kind of run and gun high scoring, you know, you're used to winning and scoring easily teams. You have to learn, I guess, sort of how to win those games. It's, it's sort of the next step. And, and maybe for the night, the lesson, or maybe what I take from it from their perspective is kind of that whole notion of staying the course. And, and I think I saw this somewhere else too, but like maybe somebody said it, but you know, they didn't fire the bus driver. So, you know, it's not a matter of cleaning house because you lost to Dallas. I mean, Tampa Bay was in the Stanley cup final five years ago against Chicago fell short and it took a little bit to get back and to get there. And sometimes that's just, you know, the path you have to take. So I think from the Knights perspective, I think it'll be interesting to see how much of the course they stick, you know, how much do they stay? How many changes do they go through? Or do they feel like this core is close? And, and it's sort of the, I guess, maturation process and, and I guess the initiation that every team sort of has to go through. You have a little bit of heartbreak before, you know, maybe you break through. Yeah. To kind of, I guess, you know, stick on that theme there. I mean, the lightning had a obviously much harder postseason exit than the Knights did uh, this season, last season, because the lightning got swept, of course, uh, by the Columbus blue jackets in the first round, the Knights, you know, ran, won the president's trophy running away last year. I mean, they had this incredible team that won uh, 62 games with tied an NHL record. And they also uh, tied an NHL record for fewest postseason wins by a team because they got swept. And, you know, Julian Breezewell, who's their general manager, I think, you know, a lot of fans probably wanted him to blow something up, you know, trade a core player, something like that. Uh, instead, he basically added kind of a few bargain bin guys in free agency like Kevin Shattenkirk and Pat Maroon. And other than that, you know, the Lightning came back this year with basically the same group of guys. And now they obviously added uh, guys like Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow at the trade deadline. And they became part of a really good third line for the lightning, but it you know wasn't like they made some just major roster shakeup to get from, you know, kind of the lowest of the low last year to now the highest of the high uh, this year. I thought it was fascinating that I was watching sports center last night and uh, lightning coach John Cooper hops on uh, Scott Van Pelt and is wearing a Virginia basketball hat, which is, of course, the parallel is Virginia was the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed in the NCAA tournament, uh, comes back and wins the whole thing the next year. So, I, you know, I thought all that was fascinating about, you know, you could draw that with, like you said, Dave, across multiple sports and with Tony Bennett and the Cavaliers, too, of, you know, he stuck with a system that a lot of people didn't like. And, you know, ultimately... They did break through. They did have success. They kind of trusted the process and trusted the talent involved. And certainly, I think, you know, general manager Kelly McCrimmon kind of echoed a lot of those comments in his uh, postseason media availability that we had about two, three days after the Knights lost in the Western Conference final. So I do think that's ultimately probably going to be 
the approach the Knights take, but it is kind of fascinating to think about the parallels uh, between, you know, the Knights and where they're at right now compared to where the Lightning were at last year and where they, of course, ultimately ended up this year. Yeah, I was going to bring up the the Virginia thing as well. And actually, there was another cool thing as I'm, as I'm thinking about this on Twitter. There was literally something that showed the mirror images of the goals that the Blackhawks scored against Tampa Bay in 2015 in Game 6 as the goals that Tampa Bay scored against Dallas in Game 6. They were almost identical plays, you know, coming down the the slot shot rebound, putting your own rebound, like points goal. And it, there's some weird kind of parallels and, and things like that. And I mean, again, I just think it's, it's part of, it's part of what happens to get to the top of the mountain. You know, you fall down once or twice. I mean, it took Washington a long time to, to ultimately get its prize in, in 2018, even St. Louis last year, you know, had kind of sort of been knocking on the door for a long time, had always been sort of sniffing it and needed, goaltending needed something finally got it last year to to get him over the hump so i you know it's it's again i think it's all sort of you know what happens as, as a franchise would you grow up it doesn't happen quick you know it's not yeah, we've said this and everybody said this you know it's like the first year for the nights where you just you know wake up and everything's magical and you just you know expect to go to the uh to the stanley cup and as other people have pointed out maybe the fact that you know three years in that they didn't make the Stanley cup final when they were expected, you know, maybe that's the the most remarkable thing about where they're at. So, you know, to, to go and blow it up and, and all that I think is probably not where, where Kelly McCrim and George McPhee are at. And if you're going to call it a copycat league and you're going to look at what Tampa did, I think that's what you're going to probably want to copycat, you know, keep the core intact and, and try to improve around the edges. Yeah. We'll see if the Knights ultimately, end up doing that. We'll have to wait a while to basically see the team that they put on the ice because there's still kind of no official word on when next season will begin. The tentative date once again is December 1st, but I mean, basically everyone involved has said, yeah, that's tentative for a reason. And I don't think anyone actually expects December 1st to ultimately be the date. But uh, coming up a little bit sooner is of course the draft, which starts October 6th and then free agency starts October 9th. So, you know, the Knights are still kind of inching towards a lot of these offseason dates. We haven't seen much happening from them or for the most part, the entire league in terms of roster moves. Uh, I believe uh, Darren Dreger uh, from TSN said, quoted one NHL executive as saying the market is, quote, constipated right now, which is a fun image for everybody. I believe I'm uh, quoting the the person <laughs> and uh, Dreger accurately right Poop there. Emoji, uh, right? We have seen Exactly. But we have seen one move for the Golden Knights. Uh, it is not the move that a lot of people are probably waiting to have happen, but it is a move. And that is the fact that the Knights traded forward Brandon Peary to the Chicago Blackhawks for 25 year old forward Dylan Sakura, who has uh, one goal and 13 assists in 47 NHL games. Uh, we haven't talked about Peary in a while. So I guess just to remind everyone, uh, Peary, of course, went on that crazy scoring spree last year uh, where the Knights actually uh you know, I got put in my feed the other day. Uh, the Knights actually basically had to record a video explaining why they sent him down because he was scoring so much. Uh, but he did cool off this past year, and he actually only had two assists in 16 NHL games, no goals. Um, and it seemed pretty obvious that he lost his place in the organization when he was not included on the bubble roster. They did not take him uh, up north 
to Edmonton, Alberta. Uh, you can probably surmise that that had something to do with the fact that George Lant is no longer in the organization as well because he coached Peary in Florida. So he might have lost an advocate in the Knights organization. Um, but one thing that I do think is interesting, you know, from this trade, Dave, is obviously, you know, Peary kind of lost his spot. So they're bringing in someone else who maybe they might like a little bit better, or at least has a shot to maybe impress them. But more than likely, he's going to be organizational depth. But sending Peary back to Chicago reminds me a lot about a lot of what the Knights did when they sent Brad Hunt to Minnesota and that, you know, we talk often about how the Knights are pretty ruthless as an organization. Certainly, you could call the, the decision to benchmark Andre Fleury for the playoffs ruthless, even though it was, you know, in service of their ultimate goal of winning a Stanley Cup. Uh, but the Hunt deal, much like this Peary deal, uh, doesn't strike me as very ruthless. It actually strikes me as very nice for the player that's actually getting shipped out. And I would imagine that that actually does kind of go a long way to balance out the Knights reputation. Yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know if they have a reputation necessarily with players or whatever. I think we look at it maybe a little bit differently, but I think in this case, it's sort of win-win. Um, certainly there's some hockey uh, elements to it. I'll, I'll get to that, but you know, I, it was a question that I asked general manager Kelly McCrimmon about, and he was pretty direct that, that yeah, you know, it, it was something that worked for them in terms of Chicago and it worked for Brandon Perry in terms of being able to go back home. He, his wife is from there. He makes his off-season home there. Part of the appeal for the Knights and, and Brandon Perry signing with him or with them a couple years ago especially was – if he's not in the NHL, which obviously is his ultimate goal, that he would play in Chicago with the Wolves. And that's where his family is. That's where his offseason home is, like I said. So to be able to go back to Chicago, and I don't think he would have any problem playing in Henderson and all that, but to go back to an organization that he started with and is familiar with and would actually have a chance to make, you know, coming out of camp, if he has a good camp, he's on a good contract, uh, Certainly with their salary cap situation, it might be something, you know, where he needs to fit in the roster. And if he's not there, then he's up the road in Rockford. So he's close to home. And and again, it's sort of win-win. And then the hockey side of it, too, is that the Knights have somebody coming back that Kelly McCrimmon said that they were interested in going all the way back to 2018 when Dylan Sakura was a senior at Northeastern. And, you know, maybe not that, whether there was a question if he was going to sign with the Blackhawks, but more so if he didn't, if he became an unrestricted free agent at that point, the Knights were very interested in him. So he had always kind of been on their radar for the last couple of years since he's been available and, you know, didn't work out in Chicago. He had never really been able to crack the lineup. There was, you know, a lot of expectations for him coming out of college and in terms of his offense, but you know, he's a guy that needs to get bigger and stronger. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon also mentioned that. So I think that's still going to be part of his development at, at 25 years old, but offensively. And again, as I think this, this is consistent with the Knights' pattern in terms of the players that they seem to acquire, that they feel like there's a little more offense in there than maybe then that the player has shown in the past. And I think maybe Dylan Sakura is a guy on the third line. Maybe you give a look at if, you know, he makes the team great. If not, he plays in Henderson once he clears waivers. You know, and, and maybe you get call-ups like you mentioned. Maybe you get some utility out of them. 
but he's got a little more offense. And if it clicks and you have something there, you know, for, for a guy like Brandon Peary, who was kind of buried in the minors, you know, to have this all kind of seem to work from a hockey standpoint and, and everybody's sort of personal standpoint, I, you know, again, it's, it, Kevin McCrimmon said it's rare that you get those two things kind of all matching up. And I think in this case, that's what happened. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. I personally love to watch from my couch and take in as many games as possible, but it doesn't matter how you do it. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. You've counted on restaurants. Now, they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. There is one move that the Knights have made. Now let's talk about the big move that, of course, they haven't made yet, and that is uh, any sort of move involving Marc-Andre Fleury. Now, there has been a lot of chatter still about Marc-Andre Fleury uh, the past week or so. We actually heard Fleury speak out publicly with The Athletic uh, that he didn't want to be traded, that he hasn't asked the Knights for a trade. Uh, his agent, Alan Walsh, reiterated those comments on uh, the radio on TSN 690 in Canada. Uh, now, it's interesting to kind of hear those guys say that because Walsh, of course, is the one that really kind of sparked, uh, I think, the serious possibility of the Knights trading Flurry with his whole, you know, backstabbing photo that he decided to put on Twitter. Now, obviously, you know, it would have been very difficult, as we've talked about, for the Knights to retain both even without that picture because of the whole salary cap implications and spending that much on goaltending. But certainly, you know, Walsh's actions and tweet accelerated things and accelerated a lot of those conversations. So it's interesting, especially to hear him then come out and say, like, hey, Marc-Andre Fleury doesn't want to be traded. We haven't asked for a trade. Um, so when you you know have read, heard, seen all these comments, Dave, how much are you personally taking them at face value or how much do you think uh, this is now? Walsh, especially kind of trying to maybe not backtrack a little bit, but just making sure that his client's hands are ultimately going to look clean if and when the Marc-Andre Fleury and Golden Knights divorce happens. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that. I think it's the latter. I mean, in terms of like how much do I take it at face value? I mean, I think 
you know, if you go back originally to the trade deadline and, you know, what, where was Marc-Andre Fleury at and what were his original feelings? Does he want to stay? Sure. And I think they're being truthful in that regard. But clearly, like you mentioned, the tweet shows where he, his head at was in the playoffs and, and where he's at now. And he literally said in that interview that he doesn't want to be a backup. That I don't think I want to be a backup. So, I mean, I don't I don't really kind of understand where they're all coming from in this other than just trying to spin it, which I mean, you know, it's pretty bold. I mean, I guess which I would expect from Alan Walsh. She's certainly a uh, a bold and upfront and and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Extroverted, I guess, uh, agent. But I mean, a lot of this, yeah, is about shifting the narrative and about kind of, I guess, sort of shifting the blame onto the Knights you know, if and when this all happens and if and when there's a there's a, a divorce, whether it's a trade or however this is resolved. And I mean, it's just it's interesting to me because like I try to put it into, you know, like real world examples. And I mean, I have like a whole bunch of them and, you know, they're kind of probably not like safe for work. And I don't want to like, to you know, use necessarily these examples on a podcast. But like I was kind of thinking about it in terms of, OK, if you're if you're like a kid. And and your friend steals your ice cream and you decide that you don't want to be a friend with him anymore. Well, the guy who stole the ice cream, of course, is going to be like, well, it's his fault. He didn't want to be friends with me. He's not going to acknowledge that he stole the ice cream. And that's why they're no longer friends anymore. And it feels like that's what Marc-Andre Fleury kind of did. Like, they're the ones their side sent out the tweet. And so if it left the Knights with no choice, regardless of what they're saying, that's what kind of started it, I guess, not to use a schoolyard analogy, but it, it just, it, it really does feel like this is about spin and about trying to shift whatever, I guess, blame will ultimately happen onto the Knights and, and keep, you know, Marc-Andre Fleury, I guess, squeaky clean, which, you know, that's what, what Alan Walsh's job is really as an agent. Yeah. I, I'm here for the schoolyard analogy. I think it works. Uh, very well. But uh, I also want to reiterate to everyone that it is going to be, you know, extremely difficult to trade Marc-Andre Fleury if you're the Knights. Uh, he does have a 10-team no-trade list. And, you know, I tried to, like, kind of go through this exercise myself, you know, if I was Alan Walsh. And, I mean, it was hard for me to get to, like, 10 teams that, A, you know, need a goalie, a potential number one goalie, and then, B, have the cap space to take on Fleury's contract. Now, that was a very surface-level job by myself. I'm sure Alan Walsh has uh, an infinite number of research that he put into it before ultimately submitting the list. But, I mean, it's hard to find a team that's willing to take on that kind of money. And obviously, the Knights could finagle it a little bit by, you know, retaining maybe some of the money that Fleury is owed the next two seasons. But then, you know, then ultimately you, they also might not be doing what they primarily hope to accomplish with the trade, which is gain cap space. Uh, we also saw another example of how difficult it's going to be to kind of dump money uh, this offseason because the Rangers traded uh, defenseman Mark Stahl's expiring $5.7 million contract uh, to the Detroit Red Wings. But they also sent a second round pick to get rid of that. So uh, to dump a one year $5.7 million contract. It took a second round pick. Uh, Fleury has two years at $7 million each remaining. So, I mean, if you're just doing the, the quick math, like I tried to do, 
that means the price to uh, trademark Andre Fleury and potentially not retain money would be at least two second round picks, if not more. And then, of course, there's always the buyout option if the Knights want a short term cap help, but it would leave them with extra money on their cap long term. It would leave them uh, with money for two years after Flurry's contract is originally set to expire. Uh, the bio period is currently going on, so the Knights could theoretically, if they decide that that's their best option and they can't find a trade partner uh, to trade Marc-Andre Fleury, they can buy him out anytime between now and October 9th, the day before free agency uh, begins. And I know I'm looking at that date, Dave, as potentially you know the last buyout date is the one that I would imagine the Knights are going to need a resolution one way or the other, just because... You know, you don't want to probably completely leave it to free agency when teams are going to shuffle around goalies then. And plus, as we heard Kelly McCrimmon talk about, uh, the goaltending kind of, you know, decision and moves are ultimately going to determine how the rest of the offseason will go. So I would assume the Knights don't want to have this linger too, too long, you know, up either up until that bio period or early on in free agency. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on the construction of you know, however they're going to do this, whatever deal, whether it's a trade or, I mean, I, the more and more I really kind of like think about it and, and really look at it. I kind of, at one point was like, Oh, well, buyout's not that bad. And I, I really don't feel like they're going to do a buyout with him. That just feels like almost like flurry wins <laughs> in a way. I don't think they're going to like kind of give in, in, in that way. But I, I think, you know, like you talked about in terms of what would it cost to, to move him based on, you know, what Mark Stahl and his contract. And I mean, I guess if, you know, if you're looking at it, doing a similar type of deal where it's kind of a pure salary dump, then, you know, yeah, probably, you know, maybe if not more, um, I mean, I guess, you know, he's probably going to a crap team then at that point, because they're the only ones with a whole lot of cap space that can take him on. And then again, you, you go back to the no trade list and, how was that constructed and all, all of the things that you just, you know, laid out earlier. So for all of that and, and for everything that you pointed out, it makes it difficult. It feels like this is the big giant domino that has to fall before everything else can go before they can, you know, figure out where their contracts at and go after free agents. You know, one guy in particular who we'll talk about in a minute, it feels like the flurry and the goalie domino is the one that has to go first, but I also think it's the biggest one and the hardest to move and the hardest to resolve. And so to say, and I'm sure they've been working on it longer, but if they've been out of the playoffs for, you know, a week and a half, and then, you know, you give them another, you know, 12 days or whatever it is. I mean, that's a short time to get something done. I think back to, how long George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon talked about the Max Pacioretty deal and the, I guess, um, construction of that and the consummation of that. And it taking from almost basically after the draft in the summer to like September to get that thing done. So to hammer out something with flurry and just say, well, yeah, we're going to get it done in like three weeks here, you know, no problem. Easy peasy. I, I have my doubts. So again, yeah, it feels like that's the big one. It has to get done first. You think that that date would be something, maybe the draft, you know, if you're moving draft picks and, and things like that, maybe it gets done at the draft, but if it doesn't get that done, then, I mean, you know, I don't think there's a rush at that point because, 
you know, you don't know when the season is. And until you really know when the season is, you're not, I guess, on a deadline at that point. So, I mean, we'll see how it plays out any number of ways it could go. And, and there's still the Leonard contract that's lingering. You know, it hasn't been signed. And if we're going to take him and his word that, you know, nothing's been agreed upon and, and all those sorts of things that he was so defiant about, you know, who knows how this could all play out. Yeah, the one, I guess, uh, rush or deadline that the Knights might have uh, and why I mentioned the opening of free agency is there are, I guess, rumors or smoke or however you want to put it, that they might want to uh, be active in one particular market once free agency opens. And that would be uh, the Alex Petrangelo market, potentially. Um, so for those who don't know who Alex Petrangelo is, he is a St. Louis Blues defenseman poised to be an unrestricted free agent. He was fourth in the Norris voting this past year. He was a member of the NHL second team. Uh, he was the Blues captain uh, when they won the Stanley Cup last year. And uh, like I said, he's heading towards free agency. And there's been plenty of, uh, like I said, smoke and rumors from plenty of uh, well-sourced national people that the Knights uh, might have interest, and even more so that Petrangelo would potentially have interest in coming to Las Vegas if he indeed hits the open market. Um, he's a bona fide number one right shot defenseman, defenseman, which is a very rare thing to all of a sudden kind of come available. Um, obviously, the Blues would still have an interest in retaining him. Uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are actually kind of his hometown team, uh, would be expected to be in the mix as well, though they, like the Knights, would have to move some salary around to make it uh, tenable. Uh, now, there are some significant caveats, obviously, uh, besides the fact that, of course, yeah, the Knights have to clear money. Uh, one is we'll even get to free agency. Uh, similar to Flurry, he's been very public about his kind of negotiations, and he's uh, specifically been open about his frustrations with the Blues, uh, which definitely feels like a little bit of negotiation tactic from him and his agent trying to put as much public pressure on the blues as possible to work out a deal to keep him. Um, and then the, you know, as I mentioned, uh, as of this moment, uh, the Knights have $5 million, uh, in cap space or $5.8 million in cap space, depending on whether you count Cody glass as part of the roster or not. Uh, this is before you consider a potential Leonard extension, because as Dave said, that's not official yet. Uh, the Blues are offering apparently uh, $8 million if you believe the reports that are out there. So uh, the Knights have a long way to go to clear up the the cap space to potentially add Petrangelo. And like I said, that's uh, not considering a potential Leonard deal or a potential deal for either Chandler Stevenson or Nick Cousins, the Knights RFAs. Uh, that's a long preamble to kind of set up the gist of what's going on here. Uh, but just right off the bat, Dave, I mean, do you think Petrangelo would make the Knights significantly better? I mean, on the surface, yes. Uh, looking deeper, it would, it would depend on how they have to fit him in, I guess. And, and what are you giving up, um, to fit him into the roster and under the salary cap? Do you have to trade guys or, or do all this, those sorts of things? And then where does that leave you? But just in terms of like on the blue line and, and if we're going to dream big and all those sorts of things and imagine what they look like, you know, to be able to, to have Shea Theodore, Alex Petrangelo, 
potentially like Nate Schmidt, I guess maybe potentially Alec Martinez, depending on, you know, how you kind of fit all these guys in. I mean, certainly it strengthens, I think your top four, it, it would allow maybe somebody like Theodore um, or somebody like Schmidt to bounce from the right to the left and, and make you a little deeper or something in that regard. It just gives you a, a different look. Um, it's there. I mean, certainly I think, you know, if we're going to compare, you know, like certain guys and say like, you know, Tyson Berry, and if he's going to get 7 million, would, would he be worth shuffling guys around? I'm not, I'm not quite sure, but if you feel like your window is short and Alex Petrangelo is available, does he make you better in the short term? Yeah. I, I think he makes you better. Yeah. I mean, you talked about kind of having him and Theodore as your two, you know, top righties. I mean, you know, we saw how much Theodore played this postseason. I mean, you're talking about you could potentially play those two guys uh, a total of like 50 minutes per game and have either, you know, a really good kind of two-way guy in Petrangelo. And honestly, Theodore's turned himself into a really good two-way guy too. I mean, when you have both those guys out there for almost the entirety of the game, that's that's pretty fearsome uh, if you're a Knights opponent. And that's certainly something... Uh, that the Knights could hang their hat on, especially given the goaltending they got uh, this postseason as well. Um, so, like you said, the key question is, would it be worth the sacrifices they'd have to make to get him here for both the short and long term? Because not only does the NHL have a flat salary cap this year, uh, it's potentially going to have a flat cap next year and then kind of uh, it's going to depend after that as to what the revenues ultimately look like, uh, you know, this season and going forward. So the cap could not move for a while. And so when you're talking about signing a guy to, you know, a potentially a seven year deal worth eight plus million dollars and having to fit that under a flat cap structure for potentially a while that could, you know, create some problems just because the Knights obviously already have a lot of other long term deals on their books right now. So that's, I think the, the one question, but you know, as you said, Dave, Petrangelo might be one of the few guys who you could say, we don't care. He's still worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think he's kind of one of them, you know, it's, it's always think about this in terms of like football recruiting and like, sometimes there's a guy, you just get him in your program and then you figure out what to do with him. You know, we'll find a position. He's just too good of a, you know, he's too good of a player. He's got too good of it, whatever it might be. And, and, you, and then you just kind of figure it out later. It feels like Petrangelo is one of those guys that like, okay, if, you, if you've got the 10% that you can go over the salary cap on the off season, you just sort of do that and then figure it out later, you know, whether it's Stasny or with somebody on the blue line or whatever it might be, you, you just, you kind of, not like you said, guys like him don't come uh, available very often. So if you have a shot at him, and here's the other thing too, like the Knights kind of have the financial wherewithal right now that they're willing to not only spend to the cap in terms of the cap money, but in terms of real money, in terms of salary, you know, there's, there's not, at least to my understanding, any sort of internal budget or whatever that, that, you know, has been imposed. So you have other teams that maybe, you know, can 
have the cap up to 81 and a half, but internally they can only spend, you know, 70 or 75 million in real actual dollars based on contract. I don't think the Knights have any restriction in that regard. It puts them in a different situation where maybe they can take advantage of, you know, other teams that, that aren't necessarily going to swing at Alex Petrangelo right now because of the financial commitment. And I think, you know, short term, their goal is to win a Stanley Cup. And if they win a Stanley Cup and then you have to figure out all those other things that you mentioned, it's worth it for them. They'll, they'll do it. It's a problem that they're more than willing to have. You know, I just I, I go back to kind of the copycat thing and looking at Tampa Bay. And I mean, it's real easy to say, OK, yeah, go get a Victor Hedman and, and all, all that other thing. Yeah, like he's tough to find. You're not going to do that. But you know, if you have an Alex Petrangelo and a Shea Theodore and a third, it's pretty close to a Victor Hedman, a Ryan McDonough, and a Sergachev, which is basically kind of how, you know, Tampa Bay rolled. And yeah, they had other guys, Cernak and, and Chattenkirk, and those guys, you know, contributed. And, and that's where you rely on depth the same way the Knights would. But Petrangelo is the type of guy that if you're going to form sort of a triumvirate, triumvirate on defense and, and really, you know, make it have a difference maker back there, I, I think he's a difference maker. Yeah, totally. And we'll see if the Knights are ultimately able to even pursue him because, of course, he still has to get to the open market when free agency begins October 9th. We'll see if Petrangelo and the Blues ultimately do end up coming together after kind of uh, publicly uh, feuding at least a little bit. Uh, during these negotiations. Well, we'll try to keep you guys posted on all the happenings around that and many other Golden Knights topics. Uh, as we already said, the draft starts October 9th and the free agency or free agency starts or uh, draft starts October 6th, excuse me, and free agency starts October 9th. So plenty of stuff about to go down when it comes to the NHL. And it might be all that we have for a while because we still don't know when next season is going to begin. Uh, Want to remind everyone that this podcast was presented by DoorDash, uh, Pepsi, and Favor Shot, drinkafavor.com. Uh, also a reminder to please check out all of Dave and I's written work at reviewjournal.com and rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. For Dave Shane, I'm Ben Goats. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.